Um, well, welcome to church, everyone, especially if you've been in America for, for 12 months. Luke, Pam was trying to play it cool, but every time she mentions you guys or hears one of your songs or anyone says verse, like in a Bible, she's like, verses, and will shed a tear. So she's playing it cool, but she's very, very excited to have you guys home. Um, as are we all, blessed, blessed to have you guys. Um, for those who do not know, uh, the series that we've been going through this year is um, On Fire. So we've been going through all these different kind of like mini series about literal fire in the Bible, metaphorical fire in the Bible, what it means to kind of be fired up as a Christian in a kind of like postmodern world, I guess, and how we can apply that to our life to um, just like bring that breath of freshness into the church and so that we can spread like wildfire uh, into our community and into all nations. Uh, so the one that we, the most recent kind of series that we've been doing is going through uh, different characters in the Bible. Oh my gosh, David Price is like up there. <laughs> I just glanced up, I was like, I'm having a divine encounter, everyone. Anyway, absolutely scared me so much. Um, So, can't stop looking at him now. Um, So we're talking about different characters in the Bible and how they're fired up and how we can kind of apply that to our own life. And uh, we've gone through a few in the Old Testament. Um, Today I'm staying in the Old Testament. I think that maybe she is found in the eighth book of the Bible and her name is Ruth. So there is um, a whole book dedicated to her. And I actually told David this morning, the reason that I told, the reason that I chose Ruth was because I was already reading the book of Ruth. And um, I kind of like, I've shared about you guys how I've been conned before about the drink bottle. Remember that? There it is. Um, but I kind of got conned at Kurong the other day because anyone who knows, like I've been reading these like little journal kind of, it's got like Bible on one page and journal on the other. And they're all the same price. So you can get like the big long book of Psalms. You can get like First Samuel, which is like a big book, all of these kind of different books. And so I bought Ruth because I was like, she's like a girl boss of the Old Testament. And it's like 10% scripture. The rest is just like journal. And I was like, well, because it's like a four chapter book. So it's super, super short. And I was like, well, I'll just try and make the most out of it and actually like preach from it and add some value to the scam that Kuron got me on. (laughs) Anyway, so if you don't know Ruth, um, she is like a girl boss of the Old Testament, right? She is an immigrant, a widow, and she's like a single working woman. Um, A lot of like articles and sermons and things online kind of paint her as this like weary maiden who like her husband dies and so she moves to a new town and then she finds Boaz and it's fine that all of this tragedy happened because Boaz was waiting for her all along and she's redeemed by this great man, but... I feel like the book is not named Boaz, the book is named Ruth. So there is value in her, there's no need to discount her. Uh, So she's my current girl boss inspo for the moment. Um, But for those who don't know, she is one of the five women who are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus Christ over in the book of Matthew. If you guys are doing any sort of Christmas devotion, then you'll kind of like uh, see her pop up in the first chapter there. Um, But she is the token immigrant widow in this like ultimate motley crew of women who make up the lineage of Jesus Christ, right? So she's uh, named there amongst Tamar the incest, 
Rahab the prostitute, Bathsheba the adulteress, and Mary the virgin who everyone thought was lying for 30 odd years. So just in case there's anyone in church this morning that feels like they're not worthy of being here, or maybe an outcast, or maybe they've done something wrong that discounts them, let it be known that Jesus Christ was born into a family of people like us, of the everyday, the ones who make mistakes, the unworthy, the ratbags, the outcasts of society. They are named in the lineage of Christ and it's not, it's not to hide who they were, but it's to show that there is redemption and restoration in the name of Jesus. Um, so we are going to, like, because it's a short book, I'm just going to give you like a, I'm going to actually read the text with some kind of like paraphrases to get through a bit of it. So we've got slides we can read together. Um, it starts saying, there was a famine in Bethlehem. So Naomi, her husband and her two sons went to live for a while in the country of Moab. These people are the ancient uh, enemies of Israel, right? So uh, they fleed because they um, harvest different food there. So the famine didn't necessarily affect them down there. So Naomi's husband died in Moab and her two sons got married to Moabite women. After about 10 years in Moab, both of Naomi's sons died as well. She decided there was nothing left for her there. So she decided to go back to Bethlehem where the famine had ceased. She heard that the favour of the Lord was back upon Bethlehem uh, in Judah and uh, that the harvest was ready, right? So we pick up in verse eight. After a short while on the road, Naomi told her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, go back, go home and live with your mothers and may God treat you as graciously as you treated your deceased husbands and me. May God give each of you a new home and a new husband. And she kissed them and they cried openly. So you can imagine the sadness that Naomi had felt in the last 10 years. She fled her home, she lost her husband, she lost her sons and she thought there's nothing left for me. So she cried openly over what she has had lost and what she is still going to be losing, her whole identity, her whole worth, her whole value, uh, she just had to walk away from. And they said, Ruth and Orpah said, if I say Oprah, just move on from it because <laughs> she, she's a girl boss too, so it's all very confusing. But they said, no, we're going on with you to your people. But Naomi was firm. That she said, go back, my dear daughters. Why would you come with me? Go back, dear daughters, on your way, please. This is a bitter pill for me to swallow, more bitter for me than for you. God has dealt me a hard blow. So this is Naomi kind of recognising that she's older, but there is still hope for Ruth and Orpah who are young, young enough to remarry, young enough to have sons, young enough to have daughters, kind of to restore their life and rewrite their path. Whereas for Naomi, there's not as much hope to continue her family line. Again, they cried openly. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. So she kind of, you know, there's two types of people when you offer. It's like, I'll go with you. And they're like, no, 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 you stay. And one of them's like, okay, I'll stay. I'll stay. That's Orpah in it. I mean, I'll go. Wait, what am I saying? So you know, when, you know when you make an offer, like if someone's been making dinner the whole time and it's like, oh, hey, I can help you. And they're like, no, 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 all good. And you're like, okay, great. I wasn't going to anyway. But the other one actually insists to help. So that's the difference between Orpah and Ruth here, right? Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went back to Moab. But Ruth embraced her and held on. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law is going back home to live with her own people and her own gods. Go with her. 
But Ruth said, don't force me to leave you. Don't make me go home. Where you go, I go. And where you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. Where you die, I'll die. And that's where I will be buried. So help me, God. Not even death itself is going to come between us. When Naomi saw that Ruth had her heart set on going, in, going with her, she gave in. And so the two of them travelled on together to Bethlehem for the beginning of the barley harvest. She decided there was nothing left for her back there, so she decided to go... Oh, we kind of said that. Sorry, that, this is me not proofreading properly. Uh, oh, no. We've already said that one. Disregard. Oh, yeah, okay. They said... We've done that. Sorry, Cam, this looks bad on you, but I think this is actually just bad on me. Uh, I can just read from here, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, So when they got to Bethlehem, Ruth and Naomi were talking about what they were going to do for food. So this is, they've they've journeyed together to Bethlehem. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favour. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. So when Boaz, this is enter Boaz, everyone's favourite hero, the owner of the farm, Boaz, saw her and heard of her loyalty to Naomi. Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go in and glean in any other field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where my men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you and wherever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars. Later, Boaz says to his workers, let her gather among the sheaves and do not reprimand her. Even pull out some stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. So in short, if you got lost in uh, my bad translation there, this is how the story goes. Tragedy strikes when they're in Moab. So they decide to um, go back to Bethlehem. Ruth should not go back with Naomi because she will be a foreigner, a widow, an outcast there. But she makes a commitment to Naomi to say, hey, where you go, I will go. I will make a commitment to you. And there she kind of like, They need to make a plan to make food. And so Ruth again puts herself out and says, I will go into the field and I will glean behind the farmers. And so that is kind of the big chunk of the story, right? And you can kind of see that this isn't the most remarkable story. It does make it into a book of the Bible, but Ruth's actions um, are the everyday actions. She's just making decisions as they come. She's not Esther who's freeing her people from slavery. She's not leading two million people out of slavery. She's not in any war. She's not in any battle. She's not doing anything that is um, completely world-changing, but she is just um, being faithful in the small, unremarkable moments of her life. But so what about Ruth is fired up? She's... uh, She's just being faithful in the small moments and it's her faith in those small moments that get movement into the bigger moments that eventually realign her whole family lineage with the most uh, history-changing life of all. And she, she ends up being like the great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus Christ. Um, you know what? Before we go on, I'm just going to pray. Is that all right with everyone? We've heard the Word of God. We're going to let it minister to us like Pam said and that the Lord would just do uh, far beyond that any any of us can ever expect. So Lord, we have heard your 
word this morning. We have worshipped you. We have entered your presence, God, and we welcome your Holy Spirit here. We put our hearts before yours and just ask that you would move us, you would speak to us, you would minister to us in any way that you see fit, God. And God, we just uh, come, come before you with repenting hearts, Lord, and, and one that is open to be changed, God. I just pray that the words I speak would be none of me but all of you, Lord, and you would just use them to just uh, help all of us not leave here changed, but leave here with um, a heart full of fire, a heart full of uh, love for other people and love for you, God. Help us to be transformed by renewing our mind. We love you so much and we pray in the precious name of Jesus. So my favourite Bible verse is in Luke and it says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with very much. And I feel like this is the Bible verse that we can see in motion through Ruth's life. It says, you know, another kind of like application of it that I try and like use at work and teach our employees and stuff like that is whoever can be trusted in the small moments can be trusted in the big moments. And it reminds us all that the small things we do really do matter before God. And it's in the same way, the flipped version of it is that a God that can be trusted in the small moments can be trusted with big things. In the same faith that we use to stand on, uh, to see God move in those miscellaneous miracles, we stand on that same faith to see God change lives, to see God heal, to see, see God deliver, to see Him bring rain. All of these things start with the small mo- moments. Um, This kind of like scaling analogy can be used with anything that you guys are kind of challenged with or going with through your life, you know, like um, lying on your tax statement can seem like something that's not going to harm anyone. Stealing something through the Woolworths um, checkout, the self-serve checkout, maybe that kind of seems like no big deal. If you work at a cafe and you drop food and you think no one really saw it, I'm just going to sell it anyway. No one comes to Wildflower again. It's all of these things that happen in the small moments. If you're faithful with those small things, then that is the behaviour that will expand into the bigger moments of your life. (sighs) This is, I wrote like, use examples on this. And this is what I always think about, especially in the week leading up to if if I preach. Whenever we play netball, I always think, would I be okay if my opponent came and watched me preach on Sunday? Like, and that is the way that I try and kind of carry myself. I feel like I'm always targeted because I'm like supernaturally athletic. (laughs) Right, Steph? (laughs) So I'm always targeted at netball. But the way I want to respond to those people is a way that I want to be able to come up here on stage, see goalkeeper sitting on the fourth row and not feel like completely shamed. Do you know what I mean? And so it's it's those small moments of playing a netball game. It's the small moments of submitting your tax. So small moments of putting it through as a red capsicum instead of what's cheap at, at snow peas, I don't know. It's those, it's those small moments that mean that you can evolve and grow into the bigger moments and still be faithful with what God is calling you to do and who God is calling you to be. Um, So there's two events that I want to look at in this small little excerpt of Ruth's life uh, where she was faithful with those small moments in the crossroads that without her awareness changed the course of her whole family lineage and made her a part of the most important family tree in history. And so the first one is found in chapter 1 verse 16 where Ruth makes a commitment and this is for all of us. Ruth makes a faith-filled commitment. 
She says famously to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be, will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me ever, ever so severely if even death separates you and me. And I feel like this kind of quote is um, is kind of common in like church land, and it's often it's often used like at um, weddings and commitment ceremonies and things like that. But uh, it sounds like the perfect movie monologue. But Ruth made this declaration when it was just her and Naomi there in this in this small intimate moment. It was after Orpah left. It was just the two of us, and she was making an authentic and powerful commitment to Naomi in a quiet moment. You know, it um, when people aren't watching, that's when people's integrity comes through. It's those moments where it's just the two of you that, that says whether or not your genuine commitment is for the sake of other people or for the sake of your conviction. She was putting aside, the significance of this is that she was putting aside her own family, her own hometown, her safety to take up Naomi's God, Naomi's people, Naomi's hometown, and she put Naomi's safety above hers. And was it out of, out of obligation? No, because she could have left with Orpah. There was no harm done. Naomi had given her this exit. But Ruth stayed out of a commitment of love. And it wasn't just Ruth turning over a new leaf and saying, oh, well, actually... Changes as good as a holiday, Naomi, I'll just come with you because, you know, my husband also has passed away here. So, you know, onward and upward kind of thing. But Ruth knows if they go together, there is an actual chance Naomi will survive. But if Ruth stays and does what is acceptable or what is um, fine or what is uh, expected of her, then, and lets Naomi go solo back to Bethlehem, Naomi will surely perish. So it really is an act of sacrificial love when Ruth walks away from everything to become a foreigner in the land of Naomi and redeem her and try and uh, restore her family worth and her family value and things like that. And the Bible says that there is no greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. And Ruth's commitment to Naomi is how we should be committing to Christ. That small, intimate moment even when we were at, are at any sort of crossroads, even when nobody is watching, we should put our own self-interest aside and pick up the cross of Christ. Even if everyone else is walking away, back to what makes sense or what, what is acceptable or what is an easy out, we should not consider ourselves to be anything apart from Him anymore. When we are called into the family of Christ, we, are, we make a commitment to live wholeheartedly for and with the Lord, just as Ruth lived for and with Naomi. We are called away from who we once were and into a new identity. We take on new beliefs, new family, new destination and new purpose. And our faith put, is put into action when we trust God enough to lead us into these new seasons beyond what makes sense, beyond what we've been living before, but into the promise of God. Ruth would have walked into the gates of Bethlehem as a complete alien, a foreigner, an outcast, scared and uncomfortable. I think that um, 
anyone who has kind of come to church for the first time in the recent years of their life, that makes sense to you. You come to the gate of church feeling like a total alien, feeling like you're the one that sticks out, feeling like you're scared and uncomfortable and awkward and you don't know anyone, you don't know the rules here, you don't know where you're supposed to sit, you don't know what you're supposed to do with your hands. All of these things is us as we first come into the gates of the land of the Lord. But in this new land of salvation, in this new land where we, where we walk with Christ, our past doesn't hold us back anymore. There is purpose ahead of us despite the tragedy and trauma we have walked through to get there. Ruth doesn't walk into Bethlehem defined by her actions. She walks in there despite knowing she's going to be ostracised, despite knowing that she's going to be outcasted, despite knowing that she will be mistreated. She walks in with nothing but faith in her new God. Faith in the commitment she made when she was in a sound mind in an intimate moment and she walks forward into the promises that lay ahead of her. Um, The second uh, small moment where Ruth is uh, faithfully walking is when she arrives in Bethlehem. They don't know what to do. They don't have any food. They're both two widows who are at the bottom rung of society. There's no value in either of those women, which is um, awful and hard to imagine now. But uh, knowing that they have dead husbands, Ruth the the Moabitess, Moabitess, um, is, she is a foreigner. She is absolutely nothing and she kind of deserves to be mistreated. She will not be able to marry, marry a man unless it is um, a part of her family uh, line or anything like that. They come to this place completely lost and they um, need to figure out how to get food. And so she's been in the land for a little bit now. She's been in Bethlehem for a while. She starts to know the people. She starts to know the law. And there's an ancient kind of like welfare system that allows the foreigners and the widows and the poor uh, to follow behind the farmers um, during the harvest harvest in the field and pick up the sheaves, which is like the um, wheat or the barley or whatever that the farmers have left behind. Um, so this act is called gleaning in case we mention it in the future. And Ruth says to Naomi, let me go out and glean. And this is Ruth in a phrase. She is willing, she is hardworking, she is opportunistic and she is brave. And these are the traits that we must strive for in the small moments of our life. Are we embracing opportunities laid out before us? Or are we moping and coping and processing everything that's gone on in the past? We need to channel our inner Ruth and get up and walk. Walk into the promises. Walk into the law of the Lord. See what is before us and do the work. Ruth says, well, I'm here now. I should at least try and make the most of it. I need to um, take hold of what the law says. I need to go out and I need to make, and I need to be more than just a mourning widow. Um... And then Boaz says to to his workers when Ruth actually arrives in her field, he says, let her gather the the grain even amongst the bundles and do not reproach her. In other words, give her what she is entitled to and even more. What does this actually mean for Ruth though? It means that when she enters his presence, favour was shown to her. There was abundantly more than she could have ever expected waiting for her once she put her faith into action and entered the fields. She didn't have to work for the food, she just had to pick it up. She didn't have to reach or strive or worry about how to get it, it was just laid out before her. And so if that's what it means for Ruth, what does it mean for us? It means we are invited to the very same thing. 
The Word says in Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 9, that we can boldly enter heaven's most highly place, most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. When we enter the field, we are entering God's presence. And just like Ruth, when we enter with this heart of thanksgiving, there is abundantly more than we could ever ask for. The work in the field is already done. We must stop being satisfied with spiritual starvation. We must stop sitting in our own tragedy, our own past. We must go into the field, enter the presence of God, even for five minutes a day and find nourishment for our soul. There are promises, there are doctrines, there is healing, there is restoration that lay within the pages of the Bible. They are already laid out for us and they are ready to be harvested. Some, some of the promises are small, but they bear much fruit. And it says, my grace is sufficient for you. Fear not for I am with you. Be strong and very courageous. And there are other promises that you can take home and chew for a while and rejoice in the truth that is within them. But God is welcoming us in, into His field, into His pre- presence and saying, Eat, my child, eat abundantly, take all you can get. And when you find a promise, take all of the fruit out of it so you can be strong and healthy. But this idea of Ruth just making commitments and having a great work ethic and things like that isn't all we can take away from this story. And this isn't all we can learn from her uh, redemptive story where uh, her life is transformed and her family's future is transformed. Being faith, making faithful commitments and working hard isn't all we have to learn. Her story of redemption is pointing towards the true Redeemer. It's not just about Ruth leaving her hometown. It's not just about Ruth leaving sacrificially to redeem Naomi. Or, and it's not even about us making a commitment to get out of our comfort zones. This story points to Jesus, our Saviour who left His heavenly Father to become man. It's about Jesus who left His family. He left His home. He left His comfort zone, His status to commit to us. While Ruth said to Naomi, nothing but death will separate me from you. Jesus came on in, in, as a man and said to us, my death means I will never be separated from you. He says, I would rather leave everything behind than be separated. So when we choose to commit to Christ in those small moments, it is only because He has already chosen to commit to us in the big moments. And when we choose to enter the presence of God and glean these promises that are already laid out before us, just like Ruth, the only reason we can get anything there is because the work has already been done before us. The grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ are available not by reaching up and standing tall and doing the work and and striving and working and, and working ourselves to the bone. But we would never be able to earn a place in that field because we are sinners, we are foreigners, we are completely unworthy. There is nothing we can do to earn ourselves a place in that field. But not only did Jesus go before us and complete the work, He was the grain He was planted, he was grown, he was cut, he was broken. He was left on the ground without connection to his father so we could be welcomed into the fields by a God who says, I would be cut off from the father. I would go through all of that so I can have you in my presence. We receive this invitation by abundant grace and never by works. 
But to glean, you mustn't just walk through the field with pride. You must humble yourselves to kneel down and receive the blessings. When we talk about glean, you can imagine the posture of people is to be able to get on the ground and take all that you can find. A prideful person will never do that. A prideful person will never bow down before what they think they've earned. They only can pick up what they know has already been harvested for them. And the invitation is open. The work has been done, but the work has never, ever been done by us, always by Jesus. So when you look at the field from afar and you kind of hear of Ruth's story, you see the field and it looks dry and arid and things like that. And the same way we can look at the Bible and think that it is just an old book full of traditions, full of laws and things like that. But it's only when we get to that place of bowed down posture, of submission, of humility, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good, that there is fruit to be harvested, that there are promises that apply to us, that there is a living word waiting to minister to us, to see us, to feed us, to nourish us, and to uh, bring us back from from a place where we were broken, from a place where we were walking through tragedy, where we had heartache, where our names were not known. This is the redemptive story of the field of God that we are welcomed into by His abundant grace. I think that um, I think that knowing we have a God that has committed to us, that the work is done for us, is um, is so freeing and almost frightening that you can know that you cannot do anything ever to earn your way either in or to deserve you to be kicked out of that field of God. We are all in there by the gracious God saying, come in my daughter, come in my son, glean from here. No one will reproach you. I've even put out extra promises for you just to collect because not because I feel obliged to you, but because I am in love with you. And so I think that this story of Ruth from where she is um, living in her hometown, living in comfort, steps out of her comfort zone and into a life where she is exploring this new faith, these new laws, this new family, and then actually puts herself out there to do the work, to go into the fields, to harvest the um, grain. This kind of presents this uh, line or this spectrum of where we can identify in this story. And I wonder how many people are in here today that think that they are still trying to redeem themselves or they are still trying to redeem others or they are still trying to make their life turn around and they're still getting their spiritual nourishment from the dry, desolate land. But to, not, to know that there is a Redeemer who says, like, like Ruth says to Naomi, that where you go, I will go. God promises to go with us wherever we go, to be with us whatever we do, to never leave us nor forsake us. These are the promises of our God who, have, who has committed to redeem us. There are people in that kind of area that is like, do not know the power of the redemption of Jesus. And they're still living in this land uh, where they no longer belong. But all they need to do is to commit to Jesus and move forward into a land of promises. It's a scary land. It's unknown. It doesn't make sense. There's a million people in the world telling you that you shouldn't go there because you're going to get harmed because it's it's wrong, because doctrinally it's unsound. But when you trust in the Lord and you move forward with Him, that is where you will find the field of great harvest. And then I wonder how many people have been sitting in this land where you know you know the law of the land. You know the power of God. You know 
the story of Jesus, you know a bit of the Bible, you know some laws and things like that, but you have never actually gotten up out of your seat and done the work to open the Word, to enter the presence of God, to make a commitment before Him and glean the promises out of the Word that are already laid out before you. That has taken the promises like, be strong and very courageous and actually used it. Be anxious for nothing and actually used it in, in their life to have spiritual nourishment and a changed uh, health from it. They're those promises that are alive and active because God says that the Word is living, that it is alive to minister to us, it is alive to teach us, to train us, to rebuke us. All of these things is in this living field of God. But there are people who are living in Bethlehem who, are, who have never humbled themselves before the Lord enough to go before Him and say, those promises that you have earned for me, those promises that you died for so they would apply to me, that most holy place that you shed your blood so I could enter it's not for me I'm kind of fine over here I'm hungry all the time I I need instant gratification from things in the world I am thirsting for more purpose I'm thirsting for more promise I'm thirsting for a stronger sense of identity but have never actually got up entered the presence of God and gleaned what is there before us Um, so if the band kind of wants to come back up I'm nearly finished Um, but I want to just be able to pray for you guys this morning and just allow you a chance to be able to get out of your comfort zone, move in your journey with Christ, accept that you have a Saviour who has redeemed you without, uh, without earning it, without deserving it, without doing anything to jump through hoops and, and gaining it. It has been all through the grace of God. It has been not out of obligation, but because of love, because there is value in who you are and who God sees you as. He doesn't see you as the the foreigner from Moabite, the foreigner from Moab who uh, continually makes mistakes continually lies, continually steals from Woolworths. He doesn't see see you as that person. He sees you as the redeemed, as the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus Christ, like He saw Ruth. There is value in your name. There is value in who you truly are. And it takes trusting God, committing to God, stepping out and say, where you lead me, I will follow you. I will die to myself to pick up your cross. And the same, the very same promise and the very same faith to make that small commitment you stand on each and every day when you have a small, quiet, intimate moment with the Saviour of our world who reaches out to us and says, come into the field, glean, take all you can get, eat all you can eat. These promises are all laid out before you. Let it save you, let it minister to you, let it feed you. For this is the Word of the Lord. This is the plan of Jesus that He was born. He was separated from His Father. He lived a life free of sin. He died the most excruciating death and was resurrected so we could be resurrected with Him. The law was rewritten so that you could be saved. And He looks at you and He says, you are so worth it. So would you stand as we continue to worship and let me pray for you guys as we go into our week, hopefully fired up in the small moments of things. Where you face a small moment, that is where the significant changes happen. So God, thank You so much for seeing our tiny faith-filled steps, Lord, that all we can do before You is make a tiny commitment at each crossroads. Lord, I pray that You would see each of us in those small moments 
Help us to choose You. Help us to never leave You. Help us to choose to follow You where You lead us, God. Pray for each and every person in here that doesn't yet know the redemptive story of Jesus, God. And I pray that You would minister to that as they choose to follow You. That they would feel chosen first and foremost by You, God. That they would see a divine plan outworked in in their life, God. And that they would be able to see a God who works all things together for good. Lord, I pray for people who have been uh, in church for a while or aware of Your presence for a while, God, but have never gotten up to do the work in Your Word. I pray that as they uh, are encouraged and motivated to, to pick up a Bible or to go into quiet time, Lord, I just ask that Your Word would come alive to them. Your presence would become real to them. Those promises would feel like food to their soul, God, an eternal food and an eternal drink so we would never go hungry, we would never thirst again, God, but uh, the truth of Jesus Christ, Your Holy Spirit dwelling amongst us is enough for all redemption, for all, uh, for all we need, God. That there is nothing we need aside from You and there is nothing that can separate us from Your love. We thank You for Your Holy Spirit and for the precious blood of Jesus that was spilled so we could enter the field. So we have a welcoming Father who, who welcomes us into that most ho- holy place, Lord. We honour You and we adore You. We repent before You, God, and humble ourselves in the field of Your promises. And we pray in Your mighty Name. Amen.